You are Locked On Balls, your daily Tennessee Volunteers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Balls, your team every day. My name is Josh Ward. Thank you for being here today. The show is loaded up with some football, more Tennessee basketball after the Vols got a win a couple of nights ago that it really needed, and Tennessee's going to try to put a winning streak together here over the next couple of games. So I'll get to that on today's show. I'll talk about Tennessee's quarterback position. In the first segment, there was big news in college football with a coaching change on Tuesday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and it had me thinking about Tennessee and its chance to succeed here over the next few years. I'll explain that coming up in just a moment. You'll hear from Santiago Vescovi in segment number two. I think he's been the story of Tennessee's basketball team here this week and and really a lot of the last few weeks with Tennessee, certainly since he's joined the team. So you'll hear from him in segment number two talking about how he's been able to learn while trying to adjust and get reps out there in big games for Tennessee. That's coming up in segment number two. And then quarterback talk, Jarrett Garantano versus Harrison Bailey with Brian Maurer mixed in and and JT Shroud as well. But uh, the idea of trying to unseat Garantano as the projected starter for 2020. I'll get to all of that on Locked On Vols today. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Welcome new listeners. If you have not subscribed yet, subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts, that'll get you the show the quickest. As soon as I post it, it should be there in your feed. Locked On Vols here five days a week covering what's going on with Tennessee. So the news I referenced a moment ago was uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, word came out that Mel Tucker was leaving Colorado to be the head coach at Michigan State. And I'm not sure how much you're interested in that story itself, but uh, the, the main gist of the story is that Colorado had Mel Tucker come in a year ago as a defense coordinator from Georgia, and year one went pretty well. They, they went five and seven. So that's not a very good record, but the expectations were incredibly low, and the hope for the future with him was high. So Michigan State came calling recently and checked in on Tucker at least, and then he tweeted out a few days ago that he was committed to Colorado and was looking forward to the future there. Then word comes out, nope, he's headed to Michigan State. And Bruce Feldman of The Athletic reported that his salary was probably going to be doubled, maybe more than that, so he could be looking at $5 million plus per year. His salary pool for his assistant coaches was going to be huge. And the point of that is that Michigan State said, hey, we have all this money We can make things so much better for you than it is at Colorado. And Tucker was making good money, but being in the $2.5 million range versus $5 million range is a lot different. And having a salary pool be doubled, if that's what it's going to be, to hire assistant coaches, well, that gives you a better chance to have people around you. And then uh, the resources will be there at Michigan State. The point is that the Big Ten has money, and the Pac-12, while it has a lot of money, it doesn't have as much as the Big Ten. And it also doesn't have as much as the SEC. The Big Ten and the SEC are easily leading the way. So if I'm talking about this Mel Tucker story, who's going to Michigan State, that doesn't have a lot to do with Tennessee, what's my point here? My point would be that Jeremy Pruitt so far at Tennessee has been given pretty much everything that he has needed that he could probably want to try to succeed at Tennessee. You want to spend money on your assistant coaches? You got it. Last year, Tennessee brought in Jim Chaney and Derek Ansley, two coordinators, making a million dollars or more. Jeremy Pruitt has been giving a big salary pool. He's had assistant coaches making $500,000, dollars $800,000. Tennessee had to pay to get Jay Graham. The money was there to get it done. 
And it's not just the assistant coaches, the support staff that is in place as well. Word came out the last few days that Chip Long, the former OC at Notre Dame, is going to be a support staff member at Tennessee. Tennessee has the resources to make that happen. Tennessee needs to hire a new director of player personnel because Drew Hughes left to go to South Carolina. Well, that's an attractive position because it pays well. Hughes was making nearly $200,000 as the director of player personnel. Here's some comparisons of what Tennessee is spending now versus what it has spent in the past. And Tennessee and a number of schools are doing this. But this past year, Tennessee spent about $2 million on Jim Chaney, a $1.5 million salary, which will continue to rise, by the way, with his contract, plus the $500,000 buyout to get him out of his contract at Georgia. So Tennessee spent about $2 million on its offensive coordinator in 2019. In 2006, when Tennessee brought David Cutcliffe back to Tennessee to be the offensive coordinator, he and and John Chavis were given salary bumps to $275,000. The entire staff for Philip Fulmer in 2006 cost a little more than $1.5 million. That's the salary for Jim Chaney. So Tennessee spent more on its OC in 2019 than Philip Fulmer spent on his entire staff back in 2006 when the Vols brought in David Cutcliffe, one of the best offensive coordinators, maybe the best in the country at the time. And of course, John Chavis, one of the most respected defensive coordinators in college football at the time. Philip Fulmer understands the importance of spending on football to hopefully get football in the right direction, which should create a big return in the end. And Tennessee benefits from being in the SEC. The SEC has more money. If Colorado could have matched what Michigan State was offering financially, I'm guessing Mel Tucker would still be the head coach at Colorado. But Colorado didn't have that money, so it has to now go find a new coach. And it might find a good coach. It just it doesn't have the ability to fix problems with cash. Tennessee is a school that can do that. Now, part of the challenge still, even though it has plenty of resources and it can spend on its coaching staff and facilities, upgrading the weight room, having multiple practice fields to get things done within a practice, three practice fields is you know really incredible. Uh, the, everything set up is so nice. Part of the challenge is, well, the other schools in the conference have that as well. Georgia has the resources to continue to spend on recruiting, even though the in-state talent is what it is for Georgia, the Bulldogs have gone national with the recruiting, and the financial support has allowed that to happen. Alabama, of course, has plenty of money. Florida has plenty of money. When the SEC announces all the money that it's giving to the 14 institutions, they're all benefiting from that. But still, Tennessee has what it needs to to be as good as it possibly can, and then let's see if that's good enough to catch the teams that are on top of the SEC to catch Georgia, Florida, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M. Texas A&M gave a $75 million contract to Jimbo Fisher. So when I talk about the resources that Tennessee has and and everything that the Vols have to spend on football to get it going in the right direction, that doesn't mean that Tennessee is going to go win SEC championships because the other schools have this as well. But it does mean that Tennessee if it continues to make the right hires, if the hires of Jimmy Brumbaugh and and Shelton Felton are the right hires, they'll have the ability to go out there and recruit. Where did Brumbaugh come from, by the way? Colorado. I'm guessing when he gets to Tennessee, he's going to look at what the resources are in Knoxville and say, well, this will make my job a lot easier on the recruiting trail. And again, yes, he has to recruit against the top programs in the country, in the SEC, but you'd much rather be Tennessee than pretty much every other school in the country not named Ohio State, 
Texas, Clemson. Notre Dame, of course, has what it needs to to succeed. And, and that doesn't mean that schools don't have a chance. Oregon's doing a really good job. Oregon, though, might be a little bit different than some of its Pac-12 counterparts because of the success that it's had and the connection to Nike. But if you look at the 2020 recruiting rankings, you know how seven of the top 10 schools were the SEC? Well, they all have an advantage in going out there on the recruiting trail. The other schools were Clemson, Ohio State, and Texas. There's a reason they're right up there. Number 11, Oklahoma. Number 12, Oregon. Number 13, Miami. Number 14, Michigan. Number 15, Penn State. If you have the right people in place, if you're an SEC school, a Big Ten school, or a big-time program that can kind of run things like Texas, you have a better chance to succeed. So Jeremy Pruitt, he has everything that he needs to go out there and win. Now let's just see if it happens. And I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know, but if Tennessee wins more games, if Tennessee can go win eight, nine, ten games this upcoming year, then Tennessee's recruiting is going to improve as well. So it's all in place there for Jeremy Pruitt, and he knows that. He knows Philip Fulmer has his back. And when Philip Fulmer the other day was talking about the communication and the understanding that the president, the interim president, Randy Boyd has, and Donnie Plowman has as the chancellor, that they're on the same page, he means that, I believe. That's genuine, and that matters as well for what Jeremy Pruitt is going to need to try to get Tennessee headed in the right direction. So uh, it's still a long game for Tennessee to play here, but everything that Tennessee's head coach needs, he has, I would say, over there on the Hill. Coming up next, Tennessee still has a lot of work to do, but the progress the last few weeks with Santiago Viscovi, as well as a few other freshmen, that looks like a positive sign for Tennessee's basketball team. Rick Barnes talks about that. You'll hear from Viscovi coming up in the next segment of Locked on Vols, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Tennessee's win over Arkansas on Tuesday night has at least done one thing. It has, I think, created more excitement about what could happen down the stretch here for Tennessee. It was obviously a good sign that Tennessee played that well and that more players appear to be stepping up and helping Tennessee right now. I saw Aaron Torres, who is a radio host with Fox Sports, does the Aaron Torres podcast and does a good job of keeping up with college basketball. He tweeted out on Wednesday night that he did a tourney bubble deep dive and said that Tennessee's path to an at-large bid is more possible than he thought. He did note that the Vols have a brutal back end of the schedule, but if they can pull off an upset or two, they could give the committee a tough choice come Selection Sunday. So just some interesting food for thought. I think everybody recognizes that Tennessee has some work to do if it wants to be in the NCAA tournament. But one thing that just has to help is that Role players are stepping up and filling those roles. Devontae Gaines off the bench is helping Tennessee defensively. He played 25 or 26 minutes the other night against Arkansas and was really effective. Olivia Cumwell was a guy off the bench who was able to help Tennessee. If that can continue, that would be a big boost for Tennessee in providing more depth. There continues to be the question about Josiah Jordan-James status. I think until he comes back, there's still some limits to what Tennessee can do just because you're asking guys to play so many minutes and uh, you're asking everybody to be able to step up and play well and taking Josiah off the floor means you're taking off one of Tennessee's most talented basketball players but still I think Rick Barnes is more confident in the younger players the guys he's asking to come in and fill 10 minutes 15 25 minutes somewhere in that range and he talked about that on Tuesday night after the game starting with Devontae Gaines Devontae stepping up and playing defense at a high level, and that's a big help to Tennessee's basketball team. He's done it four games in a row now where he has given us that, you know, and again, he's still 
we'll make some, he's make some mistakes that, again, I, I think it's just being young. And, but we told him that. We told Olivier the same thing. Just get out there and start flying around and see what happens and just be aggressive and just play hard. Just, and I think that's one of the hardest things to do with, with young players is to get them to understand how hard they, they can play. And the other thing I hope they realize, if they do that, if they play hard, they're going to get a chance to play. And we'll live with some of their mistakes. And, but, uh, but Devontae's done it three games in a row, I mean, four games in a row now, where he's done exactly what he did here tonight, just flying around and seeing if he can make some things happen. And they are making some things happen for Tennessee. And then there's, of course, Santiago Viscovi, who I've talked about each day this week on the show. And having talked about him and Rick Barnes talking about him, I thought, why don't you hear from him? It still is really incredible how Vescovi has been able to come in and help Tennessee immediately, how he's been able to play a big role for the Vols as a starting point guard and go play 30-plus minutes when he's still been kind of working himself into shape and he's learning about his teammates, he's learning about what SEC teams do on the court. And on Tuesday after the win against Arkansas, I asked him, what has helped him learn so quickly? What's helped him pick things up so quickly? This is what Santiago said. I mean, we spend a lot of time watching video, and I think that really helps us because, uh, like, you can see what your mistakes are. And I think also, like, having minutes and playing uh, really helps me because it's, like, helping me to adjust to what the SEC uh, level is in terms of, like, how quickly they are and how long and athletic they are. So, yeah, that's basically it. Has anything surprised you in what you've faced so far? When I just got here, it really surprised me how like strong and and quickly people were. But I think with the like with all the games playing that I had already played, I think that like really helped me to adjust and like know what to do in the court with this type of athletes. What have you done to adjust? What what's been the biggest thing that's helped you maybe with that with the I guess physical quickness and, and size of those guys? I think first of all my biggest problem was uh, that I was jumping all the time to pass the ball and that cost me a lot of turnovers so I think first of all was trying to like see playing off two feet and trying to read the situation and not just jump and like wonder that someone's open so yeah I think that was like one of the biggest things. That was Santiago Viscovi after the game against Arkansas and I think you can tell there he's uh, he's thoughtful in, in what he says about what the process has been like and he's obviously very smart on the basketball court. He understands the game, and he, he's a playmaker, and he sees things differently than a lot of players, and his teammates have benefited that. The behind-the-back no-look pass to Eve Pons the other night when Pons dunked it, it was a highlight that not only Tennessee and Tennessee fans were sharing, but the SEC network was putting out there, and uh, you're going to see more of that from Vescovi. It's incredible, and again, it comes back to He's only been on the team for about six weeks. And Olivia Kumwa, who's a, a freshman, he's had his ups and downs. He's seen his minutes go down. They've come back up. He played, I think, 19 minutes the other night for Tennessee against Arkansas. And Olivia, being a freshman, going through his first season, he, he talked about what it's been like seeing Vescovi come in immediately in the middle of the year and help Tennessee the way that he has. Ah, it's crazy. It's really... Like, I didn't really understand how crazy it was until we were in the film room one time and Coach Barnes said, what do you guys think is really special that's happening on our team right now? And then he said, you guys realize that Santi's been here for three weeks and he's doing what he's doing. And that's when I really noticed. I was like, first game here, what, 18, 16? Second game, great game. Maybe he had the problems with the turnovers, but he was still hooping. He was still hooping. Like, he was playing with that confidence that – 
I'm gonna be honest with you, not everybody has right off the bat coming into a new place, and I really respect him for that. How could you not? That's Olivia Kumwa, fellow freshman, talking about Santiago Vescovi and what he's brought to the team. And it continues to be a really good story now. Tennessee has to go on the road and play South Carolina on Saturday. I'll help preview that game for you coming up on Friday's show. And South Carolina is a team that's now 7-4 and four in SEC play. It's, it's a quality team that only lost by one point to Tennessee earlier in the season in Knoxville, and South Carolina on Wednesday night went to Georgia and beat up on the Bulldogs, 75-59. to So South Carolina will be ready for Tennessee. It will have revenge on its minds, and Tennessee will be – it'll have to be prepared for the game. And I'd say that those players know that. So I'll get you ready for the South Carolina game on tomorrow's show heading into the weekend. Heading into the final segment of today's show, some interesting numbers from David Ubbins piece on Jarrett Garantano and some thoughts on Tennessee's upcoming quarterback battle for 2020. I'll get to that next right here on Locked On Vols, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also tell your smart speaker at home to play podcast Locked On V-O-L-S. Just spell out Vols when you tell your smart speaker to play podcast. Locked on V-O-L-S. David Ubbin of The Athletic has a story up that you can read on Jared Garantano and Harrison Bailey coming in to try to beat out Tennessee's senior quarterback for the starting position. And it, it's Garantano as well as Brian Maurer and J.T. Shrout who return, and then Jimmy Holiday is a part of this class. But no doubt, Harrison Bailey is the guy that most people are talking about as somebody who could come in and be the starter maybe day one, at least uh, at some point this upcoming season. And David, in, in his story, talks about all the, or writes about all the different quarterbacks who have so much experience that they typically don't give up their job. There have been some veteran quarterbacks who have lost the job to a younger quarterback, but not often when you have as much playing experience as Jarrett Garantano. Now, how this is going to play out, I don't know. But some interesting numbers that David uh, shared in his piece, I'm not going to give them all because they're in his story, not mine, but uh, some of them might surprise you. When you look at Jarrett and how he performed this past season, he obviously had some stretches where he played poorly. His first month was a really bad month. But under pressure, Garantano's throws were on target 61.8% of the time this past season. That was good for fifth in the SEC. When he threw passes more than 15 yards downfield, he was on target 62% of the time. The only quarterbacks who were better than him, Joe Burrow, Tuatunga Vailoa, and Kyle Trask at Florida. Garantano also was third in the league in average passing yards per attempt, behind only Burrow, who won a Heisman, and Tuatunga Vailoa, who's probably going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Now, does this mean that Garantano is going to be a top three to five quarterback in the SEC this upcoming year? No, not at all. He could be. And I think that potential is there, but that potential is there for a number of players in the SEC. Kyle Trask and Kellen Mond coming back, Bo Nix. Let's see what Jamie Newman does at Georgia. Uh, So really, a lot of it is potential. And could Harrison Bailey take over the starting position either day one or at some point during the season? I would say yes to that as well. I think for the season opener against Charlotte, Garantano has to be considered the favorite to win that job. I don't know how to say it any other way, considering we haven't even seen them go through spring practice. And let's see that happen. Maybe at the end of the spring, I will have seen something from Harrison Bailey that says, you know what, I think he might be challenging for the starting position in the month of August. That that could happen. It's just difficult to say that right now. And I'll also add that there is a reason that Tennessee's coaching staff 
really wanted Jarrett Garantano to come back. There's a reason that Jim Chaney and Jeremy Pruitt made it clear to Garantano that he was wanted back at Tennessee and that it was a priority to bring him back. And, and also, Brian Maurer should continue to be talked about as a guy that will compete for that starting position. He just has to be better, clearly, than he was last year to have a chance, I think, to be the starter at the beginning of the season. And he does have the talent. He could throw the ball. He's mobile. Uh, he has the tools that you're looking for. The upside, the highest upside, probably is with Harrison Bailey. Is that short-term? I don't know. Definitely long-term. I think that would appear to be the case. And Holiday is still a, you know, he's a wild card here. I'll be curious to see how he fits in. It still seems like the most likely scenario is that he's at wide receiver at some point. And with Jared Garantano, he does have to be better. He, he knows that, and he has to be more consistent. Even after Jarrett was able to come back and regain a starting position and go for more than 400 yards in Tennessee's win at Missouri, he still had that clunker in the Gator Bowl. That was not a good showing, even though he helped Tennessee in the fourth quarter come back and win the game. And Jarrett didn't play well against Vanderbilt. That was, that was not a, a great night, though, uh, to be set up for success. And Eric Gray had the long runs, and then that was kind of all she wrote. That still showed, though, that even after Jared had improved and had appeared to pick things up better in the offense, he still was not all the way where he needed to be, and that needs to change this offseason. And this is going to be a long, drawn-out conversation, and this is far from the only time, obviously, that I'll be talking about it this offseason. I know that fans have all kinds of opinions on the quarterback battle. They always do. Uh, David was on uh, Sports 180 with us on Wednesday and I think the way he described it, it's a really complicated relationship between Jarrett and Tennessee's fan base. And I think that's right. And also, if you think about it, Jarrett came in as such a highly touted player, the number one dual threat quarterback in the country in the 2016 class. He had such high expectation and so much hype surrounding him. He signed with Butch Jones. I think there was this expectation that Jarrett would be a big time runner. And he's just not that. And then you have the coaching change and then a football team that could have accomplished more probably this past season, and it had such a bad start with losses to Georgia State and BYU and that ugly performance against Florida. And I think a lot of fans have the fear that with Jarrett, that's going to repeat itself this upcoming season. And if that's what your concern is, I probably can't sit here and tell you anything that's going to make you feel any better. I would look at the start of the schedule, and I wonder right now, and I'll probably wonder at the time, how much confidence would Jeremy Pruitt have in a true freshman quarterback playing on the road week two against Oklahoma. Even though Oklahoma has to replace its quarterback and it has to replace a number of key players, CeeDee Lamb at wide receiver, the expectation is probably going to be that Oklahoma is going to score a lot of points. Is Jeremy Pruitt going to be confident that a true freshman quarterback is going to go on the road in Norman, a really tough place to play, and get that done for Tennessee? So even if Jarrett's the starter at the start of the season, that does not necessarily mean that it's going to play out that way all year long. But I will say... If Jarrett's the starter for 12 games, that's probably a good sign for Tennessee because Jeremy Pruitt has already proven that if Jarrett doesn't play well enough, they'll make a change. They did that a number of times this past season. So if Jarrett's the starter for 12 games this upcoming year, that means he will have played well enough for Jim Chaney and Jeremy Pruitt to stick with him. And for Tennessee, that would be a really good thing. So this conversation has a long way to go. We have a long way to go in the offseason. But if you are an Athletic subscriber, read David's story that he wrote at theathletic.com. If you're not a subscriber, I recommend you check it out. One other note, the Tennessee Lady Vols will be on the road at 7.30 tonight at LSU. Tennessee has lost two straight games at South Carolina and against Mississippi State. So the Lady Vols will try to 
pick up another win in SEC play. 7.30 down in Baton Rouge. That game is going to be on the SEC Network alternate channel. You can listen to it on the Lady Vault Network on FM 99.1, the sports animal in Knoxville. Also a quick plug on Sports 180, Heather Harrington and I are going to talk to a couple of players from this past year's Tennessee football team. Daryl Taylor is scheduled to join us at 1 o'clock Eastern and then Daniel Batuli at 1.30. Both guys are clients of A3, the agency in Knoxville, and they will be at the NFL Combine coming up later this month. So looking forward to talking to a couple of guys who played a huge role in Tennessee's defense improving and playing at the level it did this past season. So Daryl Taylor at 1 o'clock and Daniel Batuli at 1.30 coming up on the Sports Animal on Thursday. And I might uh, I might bring some of those comments to you on this show coming up sometime after we have those interviews. So uh, check those out if you do get a chance. I appreciate you being here on Locked on Vols. Keep spreading the word. Keep sharing information about the Daily Tennessee podcast to other UT fans. I appreciate all the ratings and reviews for the show as well. Those are a big help. I'll have more Tennessee football and basketball getting you ready for the weekend on tomorrow's show. I'll see you then. <laughs>